This program does not provide medical advice. We assume no liability for the information provided on MindForce Radio. Please consult your physician before beginning any exercise or nutrition program. This is Roger LaPointe, and I have known Bob Whalen for many years at this point, and he is one of the most intense individuals you will ever meet. Go MindForce Radio. From Mind Force Radio, this is Natural Strength Night with Maximum Bob. On Natural Strength Night, we don't talk about the other things Bob likes to talk about. Tonight, we only talk strength training. When I say strength training, I don't mean training like punk-ass goons in the muscle magazines who jacked up on juice, steroids, and PEDs. I mean natural strength. Strength built on good food, heavy weights, and no shortcuts. If you want to learn about real natural strength, weight training the right way, the old school way, stick around. Bob and his friends just might teach you something. He's here, the host of Natural Strength Night, Maximum Bob Whalen. Tonight's guest is Jim Bryan. Jim is an old-timer throwback. He has done it all in the field of strength training. He has over 50 years experience, so listen to him. He is a high-intensity training pioneer. He was one of the first college strength coaches to use the HIT philosophy way back in the early 70s before it was even known as HIT. He was truly one of the first college strength coaches ever, period. He has competed in all three Iron Game sports, and he's written dozens of strength training articles that have been published in many training magazines and websites, including my own, naturalstrength.com. He holds several personal training certifications, too, and he even devised his own HIT certification. He was one of the first people to work directly with Arthur Jones in DeLand, Florida, way back in the early 70s. I'll be picking Jim's brain tonight for some insight into those colorful days working with Arthur in DeLand. Jim, welcome to Natural Strength Night. Well, thanks for having me. You were one of the first, if not the first, to be invited by Arthur Jones to come work with him in DeLand. And Kim Wood and some other notables came too, right about the same time. But uh, please tell us about those colorful days under Arthur's wing. Well, uh, I met Arthur in 1970, July 1970. Um met him at the uh, Teenage Mr. America contest. I didn't know who he was or I didn't know who Casey was. But uh, we had a guy from our gym, uh, Dennis Wood, that was really, really good, and he uh, was scheduled to go up there and and enter the contest in uh, York, Pennsylvania. Well, at the time, other people were uh, interested in Casey, uh, and I was training off and on with uh, uh, Dr. Craig Whitehead, and Craig was kind of a protege of Bill Pearl, and so I was learning what Bill was telling Craig through Craig. 
But I was supposed to check out Casey to see if he was as good as they said he was. And so they uh, worked out a way for me to go there with Dennis and uh, help Dennis out, get ready for the contest, and also be on the lookout for Casey. And so that's how I met Arthur, and I met Casey the same day. And uh, Arthur uh, uh, and I kind of become friends there at the thing after a real tenuous conversation that I got up and left and, and went to my back to my room and uh, it's been written about but he was uh, you know everything he asked me I didn't know how to answer correctly so we'll leave it at that but I went back to the room and took a nap and uh, found out that really made him mad and he let me know later on but we did the contest and uh, of course Casey won and uh he was the best bodybuilder I had seen to date at that time. Uh, I thought he was up there with uh, Sergio. But anyway, we did the contest, and then Arthur kept inviting me to go up to the land and kept inviting me, kept inviting me, and I uh, kept putting him off because I wasn't terribly interested, but I sent somebody in, uh, in my place to go up there and work out, and he... Uh, he loved it. He came back and said, oh, man, here's what they're doing. And so we started doing it at uh, Christensen Health Club, a couple of us. And our idea of what uh, Arthur was doing is do everything as hard as you could do until you fell. And uh, we didn't count uh, seconds in the reps or anything like that, and I, I'm really not a advocate of that anyway. But, uh, yeah, we were falling in the squat and everything because we didn't have a power rack. But we did that, and uh, we uh, had some hard workouts. And then I was a judge at one of the uh, contests, uh, powerlifting contests. Uh, I guess it was up in Winter Park. And I saw Arthur again, and he pinned me down and said, you know, you've been telling me you're going to come up. How about coming up now? And so we made a date to come up, and I went up there, and uh, Dan Howard was the only one there at the time only one working for Arthur at the time. And so uh, I can't remember whether it was that day or not, but we made a commitment to meet again, and it was talking about going to work for Arthur. And so I went up there with my wife and son, or soon-to-be wife and son, and uh, we were in his uh, house, and he laid it out for me, and basically he was going to throw everything in my lap. And uh, so... I was supposed to live there with him at the house, but uh, I wasn't real keen on that. And so I looked around to try to get an apartment, this, that, and the other. And I stewed about it. And uh, before I was supposed to move up there and start to work for him, I got cold feet. And I took a a job as a uh, collector for a finance company. And I didn't uh, uh, I, I didn't call Arthur. I sent him a you don't hardly even do it anymore. But I sent him one of those telegrams. That's what it was, and told him I wasn't oh, okay. coming, which was kind of a kind of a chicken's way of doing it. But uh, that made Arthur extremely mad. I mean, extremely mad. Now I was already up there training, but for a while after doing that, I wasn't training with Arthur. I would train with Casey or uh, Kim or I can't remember Jim Flanagan. Probably know whether I trained with him, but I. You know, those workouts were a little more friendly. We were trained real hard, but uh, the workouts with Arthur could be uh, 
extremely tough on everything. And uh, my wife didn't even like going up there and sitting in the gym when we were training because of the language being used. Uh, uh, he provoked you pretty good. And uh, I kind of talked back sometimes, and so there was some language flying around. But uh, I really liked the guy and uh, up to that time didn't like people talking to me that way. And he's probably the only one that got away with it because I generally would just leave. But uh, I really liked him, and, and uh, I, we ended up being good friends. And uh, I went up there as much as I could after work. I ended up going to work for the phone company and still was going up there and uh, working out after work. And we went through all the different protocols because at first, when we first started training, we didn't have but one Nautilus machine. It was the... Uh, plate-loaded pullover, and uh, everything else was just theory. And there wasn't really a Nautilus company that much. It was just theory. And uh, so we had um, different equipment that uh, you'd see at the high schools and uh, dumbbells and the barbells and whatever, and we did squats for the legs and did it at leg extension and leg curl with another piece of equipment that uh, uh, used to be standard in uh, – the schools and everything, and, and we had one Nautilus machine. But the circuit was real hard. I don't remember much about it because of the fact that I was being pushed and pulled from station to station, and, uh, you know, I never blacked out and I never got sick, but afterwards I'd always go outside the quads and, and fall down in the grass. And most people threw up, though, but I, I never threw up. But uh, he got... A uh, different type of failure out of you than other people could because he wouldn't mm-hmm. let you quit. So, uh, you know, the workouts were extremely, extremely hard, extremely uh, demanding, and they weren't that brief when you stop and think about it, you know, compared to the way people think about high-intensity training now. It wasn't called high-intensity back then. It was called Nautilus Principles, but uh, the workouts, uh, he beat you. And, uh, you know, if there was uh, something else that he could add, like a a baseball bat to the shin, you know, if that would get something out of that, well, that'd be at the end of the workout, you know. It was was tough. How long were Arthur's workouts usually? Ah, they were more than a half hour. They weren't these little 10 and 15-minute stuff that people are trying to get away with now. I mean, they were were hard. And there were multiple sets where people don't understand that now. you know, we didn't necessarily do pre-exhaust right at the beginning, but we did uh, do something similar, and there was not a name for it. But, uh, hell, I'd, all I did was just I'd get up off a piece of equipment, and somebody would grab me by the T-shirt and pull me, and another one pushed me and set me down, and, uh, and he'd tell me what to do, and then I'd do it as hard as I could do it. And, then, of course, he told me I was doing it like a girl. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, I'd push as hard as I could, and... He'd have it loaded up, and he'd say something to the effect that, uh, yeah, we had a 90-year-old woman in here at 3 o'clock this morning, and the machine's still loaded up for her. You know, you go ahead and use it. And, of course, that pissed me off. But, uh, you know, that's the way he did it. He found out whatever he could find out about you and uh, use it to uh, make you work. And uh, he would got you. He made you work. Tell us how um, Dick Butkus, the great football player with the Chicago Bears, he used to get on there a lot. You told me before that Arthur actually, like, saved his career, right? Yeah, Dick was uh, getting ready to re-sign, and I guess it was with the Chicago Bears. Uh, You know, a lot of this stuff is, you know, we're talking a long time ago, but 
uh, Dick had come there and uh, wanted to know if Arthur could rehab his knee. I think he had just had surgery, and uh, his knee was were in bad shape. Now, he was a real tough-ass guy, but he wanted to re-sign, and uh, so Arthur uh, took over his rehab, and he got him good enough that he could go through whatever they needed to do to check him out at the uh, 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 Chicago Bears and uh, get him signed, and he was, like, signed to a, a no-cut contract, from what I remember, and, uh, you know, he was guaranteed to be in paid, and uh, then first or second game or third game or whatever, he got hurt and couldn't play no more, but he had the money cinched, and so he used to come there a lot, and he was a, he was a tough guy. I mean, he, uh, uh, I guess he was pretty, pretty much, uh, well, maybe some Jim or Kim could tell it different, but he was kind of pretty much even Steven with Arthur because, uh, you know, you didn't, uh, Dick was a, a real man, you know. He wasn't, he wasn't no pushover. Back then, not all football players lifted either. I mean, it wasn't uh, like it is now. So he probably was one of no. them in the minority as far as hard training goes, right? Yeah, there weren't, uh, uh, there weren't a lot of strength and conditioning coaches around. I believe Kim ended up being one of the very first full-time strength and conditioning coaches in the NFL. And he, when he left uh, Arthur, he went to work for Cincinnati, and uh, he became one of the first ones. Uh, other ones had some kind of program, but the thing about it is with the football programs, and it may be that way for some coaches today because that's not an easy uh profession because you may know all there is to know in your uh, world about strength and conditioning, but you've got to uh, uh, get approval from the head coach. And some head coaches think they know something about strength and conditioning too. And so it's a little bit of a problem. Sometimes uh, the uh, head strength and conditioning coach has to do some things that you'd rather not do. But, uh, you know, it's not uh, – It's it can be a very stressful uh, – situation for some strength and condi- conditioning coaches you got to make sure that the head coach buys into your program and uh, some of the more successful ones like uh, Marcus Hanovich uh, when he was with the Bucks and when he was with Jacksonville they they bought into him and he had a hell of a program going on and uh, so uh, you know it's it's been hard for some and not so hard for others but it's also hard to stick because if the head coach gets fired usually everybody else has gone with him so uh the fact that kim stayed as long as he did with cincinnati is remarkable uh, a lot of the other ones have come you know gone to different teams and you know had to leave for a while and come back and you know it's it's not an easy profession those are the two exact reasons why i decided to go the route i went so just so i could be my own boss and be independent but um you were one of the first college-level Nautilus-based hit strength coaches. You were a pioneer for hit, and it wasn't even called hit back then, back in the early 70s. But, you know, we've come a long way since. You know, just it's, it's like night and day compared to what it was like back then. What, what were the struggles of those uh, early days like when you had to convince people and the equipment wasn't very good and most of the players probably didn't even care about lifting? And uh, it must have been tough back then, right? Well... Uh, I came from a background here in Winter Haven of the gym business, so people knew uh, that I was involved in training and that I entered contests because I was a three-event guy over my life. Well, actually, I've done all kind of 
athletic sports, but as far as the weight game, it was Olympic lifting, powerlifting, and bodybuilding. So people knew that. And uh, I was training at uh, uh, Al Christensen's gym, and I was looking around for another place to train. Uh, and I thought I'd check out the uh, college. It's uh, Polk College now. It was uh, Polk Community College back then, or Polk Junior College. And I went in and looked at the uh, weight room, and uh, it was pitiful. I mean, they, it was really pitiful. I said, well, I, hell, I can't do nothing here, so I forgot about it. But the athletic director uh, at the time, uh, Dr. Owen Lee, was a real good friend of mine. He was my ninth-grade science teacher. Somehow or other, it worked out because he gave me a call, and he says, uh, Jim, I want you to come look at the weight room and you know, recommend what you can do and this, that, and the other. And uh, I said, well... Uh, Dr. Lee, I said, I've looked at it, and I said, it's really piss poor. I mean, it's it's terrible. And he says, well, what if, what's your recommendation? So we got together, and I said, well, there's this new equipment coming in, and uh, I've been going up to the land two or three times a week to work out uh, with Arthur Jones. And uh, so why don't you look at it? I'll put you together with Arthur, and you can go up and do the tour and everything. And then... I said, if you decide you don't want to invest that kind of money in the equipment, I said, I have friends at the Jackson Barbell Company, and they make benches and uh, Olympic sets and whatever, and you, we can outfit it that way. Well, he called me back later on. He said, I went up there, and he said, I'm sold. We're buying everything that they got right now, which was pretty much the same equipment that Miami Dolphins had just bought. And he said that Arthur insists that you run the program. And I said, well, that's pretty cool. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you'll be on staff, and you'll run the uh, Nautilus training program, and which, you know, involves uh, training the teams and whatever. So we weren't thinking about it back then as a strength and conditioning coach. I was just, you know, happy to have a place to train on Nautilus equipment so I didn't have to go up so much. So uh, we set it up. We brought it in. Jim Flanagan and his crew brought the equipment in, and it was extremely hard back then because nothing broke down. Everything was welded. The machines were welded. All the weight stacks were on them, and they were a bear. I couldn't uh, do it today, but we got them in the the room, got them bolted down, got the circuit set up, and uh, so I was given the run of the weight room. And... Uh, the coaches at the time weren't terribly interested. We had a few players. Um, most of the coaches, I don't think, cared anything about uh, being involved in it. They taught their particular uh, uh, particular sports, and they weren't interested in a weight training program. And we tried to get it started and tried to get it. And then what we ended up doing is getting the uh, young fellas and young ladies that uh, – were interested in being stronger and better conditioned because back then nobody really cared that much about weight training. So some people call it the strength and conditioning coach, and Randy and I have talked about it. But uh, at the time, there wasn't a title. I was just in charge of the weight room and in charge of the Nautilus program. And uh, we (laughs) went into the community, and we had a, a huge amount of people coming in from the community uh, training, and uh, we trained, I think, two days a week, uh, and it was two to three hours a night, and we would take them through a circuit one at a time, uh, me and the guy that was helping me, uh, Fred Comparato, and we uh, put them through the Nautilus program, Nautilus workout, and uh, they weren't allowed to train on their own. They had to go through what uh, the Nautilus equipment was set up, and you 
use it the way it was set up to be used, uh, and uh, we were quite busy. I mean, we put, uh, in a, co- a couple hours, we put at least 30 people through a workout, and uh, that's probably talking maybe eight, nine stations. I can't remember. And uh, we just, we grabbed them hooked, and, you know, they were standing in line. And whenever we finished, we'd grab another one. But, you know, back then, my memory was so good, I didn't have many workout cards or whatever. I knew what everybody's weight was and where their reps were. And what we tried to do is we tried to always improve reps or weight and, uh, you know, train safely. We didn't let them train fast, but I didn't count seconds or anything. You know, like I mentioned before, I don't care anything about that. I'm not anal at all about that, so... But we had a very successful program where it reached out into the community, and uh, we trained uh, quite a few athletes. One I was telling you about uh, was Carlton Fisk, uh, the uh, Boston Red Sox. I believe it was the time when they won the world championships, and they had no strength and conditioning program going with uh, the Red Sox at all, and they allowed him to come over, uh, and he turned out to be a hell of a good guy. There was no... Uh, nobody run up and said, oh, let me take a picture with you or let me get your autograph. They just treated him like one of the guys, and he he was a nice guy. He trained hard, and he had a another guy that he brought with him was either second base, shortstop, third base. I can't remember him. I'm a big baseball fan. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, he was either, uh, either third, second, or shortstop, and he was uh, probably in the – Round five eight now Carlton was a big guy, and he fit into that pullover machine very good because the original pullover machine when we went to uh, not putting on plates but we had the geared one with the with the uh, weight stack the plates and all the equipment was twenty five pounds each plate was twenty five pounds there was no seat mm-hmm. adjustment so they were basically built for the football players and uh, I had to uh, make a pad for it and of course. With my way of doing things, I uh, was working the phone company at the time, and I said, well, hell, I can't buy nothing. So I took several uh, Winter Haven phone books and put uh, 88 tape, which is uh, the electrician's tape, and, and made a, a pad that that uh, people like me had to sit on because, uh, hell, you had to be at least six foot three to sit on the chair, you know, on the, on the platform. But then later on, they made an adjustable a seat for it, but uh, I think they're still using those uh, phone book pads back from uh, 71 or 72. It's still there being used. Uh, a lot of the Nautilus equipment is still there. The hip and back is not there. They didn't appreciate it, but uh, that particular hip and back was the kind that had a track where you cranked yourself forward and both legs worked at the same time. And after a time, the the metal being so hard on the gear, it rounded the uh, the the gear thing that held you in place. And sometimes you'd be riding the the last rep or real strain, and the thing would turn you loose. And it was like being on a carnival ride till you hit the stop, you know. And uh, so they went away from that design, but uh, they put it out. Wow. They took it outside and left it outside in the rain. I think the Winter Haven Police Department's got it now. But, uh, yeah, we had all the original equipment that went to uh, the selectorized pins, but every every plate was 25 pounds, so uh, not many people got past a couple plates and some things. But we did have people almost stacking. 
and some of the athletes almost used a full stack. And I can't remember how strong Carlton was, but he was strong and he trained hard and he didn't bench it and moan and groan or, you know, uh, none of that. He was a good guy. We'll be back with more right after this. This segment brought to you by VitalNutritionStore.com. Did you know that more than 7 million Americans suffer from coronary heart disease, the most common form of heart disease? Regardless of your age or condition, adding Cardio for Life to your daily regime will dramatically improve your cardiovascular condition. Cardio for Life has been the top-selling Enlarginine product in the marketplace now for more than three years. It is also the top-selling product at VitalNutritionStore.com. Formulated by Dr. Harry Elwart, the best-selling author of Let's Stop the Number One Killer of Americans Today, Dr. Harry believes together we can prevent and reverse heart disease. Cardio for Life comes in three wonderful flavors, orange, peach, and grape, and is gluten-free, sugar-free, and sodium-free. Please see our complete line of natural products at vitalnutritionstore.com. That's V-I-T-A-L nutritionstore.com. Randy Roach shocked the world with the release of his first volume of Muscle Smoke and Mirrors several years ago. It was a masterpiece of over 500 pages with such in-depth research and detail that it was not only surprising, but shocking and mind-blowing. It was truly one of the best Iron Game history books ever written. He followed that with Volume 2, another epic book with over 700 pages of equal depth and detail. All serious Iron Game fans need to have these books. Please visit Randy's website at randyroach.ca. That's R-A-N-D-Y-R-O-A-C-H dot C-A. Listen to how Iron Game legend and the Iron Master editor, Osmo Kihaw, describes the book Supernatural Strength. Have you ever wondered how much real-world experience authors have when they write books about weight training? Who is that person behind the computer? What do they really know about the Iron Game? If you picked up this book, Supernatural Strength, you have definitely come to the right place. The author, Bob Whalen, has spent several decades in the Iron Game trenches training himself, competing and coaching in powerlifting, earning academic credentials too numerous to mention, and thousands of hours of training and instructing athletes and trainees of all levels at his Washington, D.C. gym since 1990. He's not only devoted his life to motivating and pushing people to heights they have never been to, but elevating the trainees' understanding why certain methods work better than others. Bob is one of the most respected and revered trainers in the business today. This book is sure to surprise and amaze you at the same time. Order now at SupernaturalStrength.com. That's SupernaturalStrength.com. Don't you think it would be so much easier getting into shape if you had a personal coach? Just like all the celebrities do. Well, now you can. Bob Whalen of WebStrengthCoach.com wants to get you out of your rut and coach you to success. He's dedicated to helping you achieve your strength and fitness goals through your hard work and his expert guidance. Bob will help you with strength training, muscle building, fitness, nutrition, and motivation. He'll make sure you achieve your maximum physical potential. You can get one-on-one training with Bob through his 
website, webstrengthcoach.com. He will develop a personalized program tailored to your individual needs, a program right for you. Bob will give you feedback after every workout. This is old school fitness and nutrition, no fads and no gimmicks. Bob will use proven natural techniques to make sure you are satisfied. So visit webstrengthcoach.com today and let Bob help you reach your best self. Webstrengthcoach.com Do you enjoy history without social engineering? Reading about our founding fathers? Economics from a capitalist perspective? Wisdom from modern patriots? Welcome to UncleSamBooks.com where virtues like rugged individualism, hard work, and the American dream dominate. UncleSamBooks.com Great books for homeschooling. UncleSamBooks.com If you want to become as strong and muscular as possible with health in mind and without lowering yourself to using steroids, the best advice can be found in the classic strongman books of long ago. These are the best books ever written on the subjects of strength training, weightlifting, strongman training, iron game history, and old-time physical culture. Many of them can still be found at physicalculturebooks.com. There you will find good, honest, time-tested wisdom from the great old-time strongmen to maximize your natural muscular and strength potential. Please visit physicalculturebooks.com. Listen to Ken Manny, head strength and conditioning coach at Michigan State University, describe the book Iron Nation. A masterpiece text on some of the most intriguing and compelling personal stories, Iron Game history, and gut-wrenching training routines ever put to paper. If you truly love hard training without all the frills of pomp and circumstance so common today, you will love Iron Nation. Written by lifters for lifters. If you love weight training, you will love Iron Nation. Order now at ironnation.com. That's I-R-O-N nation.com. If you would like to promote your business on MindForce Radio, we would love to hear from you. Please let us know if you are interested in a 30- or 60-second voice commercial or a banner website ad. Please contact Bob using the contact information provided on mindforceradio.com. You're listening to Natural Strength Night on Mind Force Radio. many athletes uh but later one of the coaches got a hold of me after i left the college uh that wanted to start another program where uh we got the equipment and started a certification program for personal trainer and all that and he tried real real hard to pitch it to the college but they didn't go for it uh but he did appreciate weight training but i didn't uh, interact with him much while i was at the college it was probably pretty much that way at most colleges in high schools, uh, you know, uh, weight training was non-existent if the uh, coach there wasn't doing it. Uh, and if he wasn't doing it, then they didn't mess.
mess with it because everybody was talking about how it wasn't good for you and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, didn't you almost purchase a um, a Geronda franchise? Yeah, uh, before I really, well, I guess it was in the initial stages of uh, meeting Arthur. I was looking to quit my job that I was in the management program at a drugstore, and uh, I didn't like the hours, so I thought about getting into the gym business because I'd been around it most of my life from about uh, 12, 13 years old on and uh, worked with uh, Al Christensen in his studio. So I thought about opening my own gym here, and uh, I figured that, uh, you know, getting somebody with name recognition like Vince Gironda would be the way to go because he was offering what he called a, a turnkey thing that he was supposed to provide all the equipment and, you know, train in his way and all that, you know, the preacher benches and the whole bit. So all you had to do is come up with the money for the franchise to uh, get to use his name and everything. And back then I thought his name had a lot of recognition, but now looking back, nobody knew who he was around here and, uh, it wouldn't have meant, you know, I could have put uh, Joe McDuck on the gym, and then it would have been the same thing. But Arthur talked to me about it, and he said that uh, really there was no program that they were fishing around, and if, if they got enough interest, they might start a program, and they didn't have any equipment. And so what would happen is I'd lay out the money and then struggle trying to get the gym open or get the equipment or whatever. So uh, he talked me out of it, and... Uh, then Arthur and I became more uh, uh, close, and then he offered me a job, and uh, I went up, and we agreed on the money. He was supposed to pay me and everything, but like I say, I got cold feet and went to work for the phone company and did 30 years there. <laughs> you wrote a hit certification program, too. Fill us in on that. Well, that uh, grew out of uh, uh, along the time that I was working with John Shemansky, and uh, he was producing equipment, and... Uh, uh, he had written a, a book about Arthur. Some liked it, some didn't. I thought it was okay. Uh, and I, my worry was that when Arthur passed away or when Arthur became uninvolved, that uh, what he believed in and, and the original people would disappear from people's consciousness. You know, they wouldn't know about the training. And so I bounced it back and forth. I wanted John to get something going with it, and uh, Bill Pache on the Cyberpunk website had the uh, hit doctrine that, uh, I'm sorry, I can't remember the guy's name that did it, but he did a damn good job. I mean, it was it was like what we we did back then. He uh, It was like what Doc Ken would do. It was, you know, the real thing, the hardcore training. So I tried to interest John into getting the, the program going, and uh, I tried uh, to get him to use his influence on some of the other guys that may have been more suitable to do it, but nobody was interested. I mean, he put out the email to everybody, and, and nobody was really interested. So I went up to meet him one day at uh, in Claremont, and he was uh, there working with Arthur. And he challenged me. He says, you know, you want it done. Why don't you do it? And I said, well, I'll do it, and then I'm going to hand it to you, and I don't want nothing to do with it after that. And so he says, well, we'll see. So I went home, and the next couple of days I stayed up all night and uh, made the, the program. And it never was meant to be a primary certification. It was meant to be a, uh, a alternate uh, certification or 
maybe leading to a primary if we got uh, other people that were more, more involved in science and could speak more on science like Doc Ken. That's what, what I was always hoping for. But anyway, I pounded that thing out, sent it to him. I said, it's yours now. Do whatever you want to do with it. And he said, well, no, I can't cut you out of it. He said, I want you to be involved. And I said, well, how can I be involved? And he said, well, I'll put it up on my website, and people will uh, pay me, and they'll get uh, uh, a year in uh, Cyberpump, which will allow them to get to the the uh, hit uh, area uh, the way it was written. Rob, I think the guy that wrote it was Rob something. Anyway, he did a hell of a good job. Anyway... He said, after I do all that, I'll do all the business. They'll uh, pay me through uh, their credit card, and I'll shoot them to you, and you send them the test. You instruct them on how to take it, and they'll send it back to you. You grade it, and you tell me whether they passed or they failed. And he said, I'll pay you. And he was very generous with the way he was going to pay me. And I said, well, okay. But I didn't expect it ever to do anything. Well, the damn thing went international, and I was busy as heck there for a while, you know, sending them out, correcting them, helping people, uh, uh, consoling the people that failed, because there were some people that you'd recognize their name that they didn't pass it the first time, uh, hmm. because they already had an idea of what they wanted, And uh, but some of them uh, passed it and did good. Chris Lutz is one of them, and he reminded me he took... Uh, the uh, test from me, and he went on to have his own certification, the Sparta, which is uh, a good certification, and he's got me down as one of the uh, masters uh, in that certification. But uh, we met a lot of interesting people, and uh, we put out the uh, people that were involved in the beginning because I was afraid that, and it's true, there's people that has come after, after, especially since Arthur died, that claimed they were involved when they weren't, and, uh, you know, do a lot of writing on the internet and whatever, and uh, really they weren't involved. And they claimed this and claimed that, so uh, that's why I did the certification. Uh, I wanted to make sure that his legacy uh, went on. But uh, uh, John had an accident in the gym. He was on a blood thinner because of his heart. He banged his head real bad and uh, was feeling bad and laid down, and then his wife called me and said that she found him dead, and uh, it was quite a shock. And uh, as far as I wow. was concerned, that was the, the end of the HIT certification, but she tried to do it afterwards, and we did a few more people, and then it was just too hard on her because she had a full-time job, I think, with the post office and trying to run the business and everything. So we agreed to just let it stop. And other people have, uh, you know, asked me in the past, you know, in the past, wanting to purchase it and do it, you know, themselves. But it never uh, really uh, developed anything into anything because, you know, even though I guess I own the certification, I pretty much gave it to John, and without John, it, I wasn't that interested in it, you know, because he was. I thought he did a real good job of getting it out there and everything. So, uh, yeah, that was a first. Uh, so-called hit certification and some people got jealous and uh, tried to make it like we had a little Mickey Mouse certification uh, but they didn't know that it wasn't that terribly important to us and we weren't trying to be experts or the the, the world leaders of hit like they were and uh, they started their own certification and they tried to you know put 
you know, put theirs out being the best ever, and uh, and it was pretty good. But uh, you know, you don't start out by burying somebody else, or trying to bury somebody right. else, or being critical of somebody else. And uh, so it never really affected us because ours was uh, pretty easy to administer and pretty easy to get, and it was uh, all down. The other one was a work in progress that you know, went here and there, and it's a good certification, but nobody knows about it. Um, it, uh, you know, it's the other hit certification, and then Chris has got the Sparta, and, uh, you know, they're both, you know, struggling, I guess, to get out there because high intensity is kind of like, uh, it's elusive. You know, there's so many different varieties and, you know, uh, prescriptions right. now and so many different leaders that, People that were yeah. there, they weren't necessarily, they were there, but they weren't necessarily, uh, nobody paid much attention to them. And, uh, you know, the core group that I always refer to whenever I say the real people from the old days would be, uh, uh, Kim Wood and, uh, Jim Flanagan and, uh, Dr. Ken. Uh, and they spawned a lot of good trainers and, uh, trainees and, uh, each one of them could have done a certification program had they wanted to. Uh, and uh, if they had, I'd have backed them 100%. But those are the guys that I defer to. And then, of course, Randy Roach, he, you know, he's got such a good memory. He remembers everything. And uh, if I need to know a date or whatever, if I can't get a, uh, get a hold of uh, the three mentioned, I, I get a hold of Randy because we had extensive phone conversations to where, he knows more about me than me, and uh, I never figured I was interested enough, you know, interesting enough for anybody wanting to know anything about me, and I never wanted to be the the hit guru guru or uh, the expert or whatever like some of them have. But uh, those three, uh, Jim and Kim and Doc, are the, the real deal, and Randy uh, pretty much knows from them uh, what David uh, talked to him about, and he's had extensive conversations with him. So I would say probably the one that knows most everything about every everybody would be Randy. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, those are the guys that I back, really. Those are the experts. You competed in all three of the Iron Game sports. Which one was your favorite? Well, if I had to pick a favorite, at the time it would have been bodybuilding, but now I can't stand it. But I always loved Olympic lifting, and uh, the only reason I left Olympic lifting because training for powerlifting, even though it wasn't a sport at the time I first started, but training for powerlifting was easier. There was less technique in the Olympic lifting. But I had some very good Olympic lifting teachers uh, at, the, at the time. Bill Lemax was uh, the top uh, lightweight, middleweight, uh, Olympic lifter in the South and probably physique guy in the South. And uh, he and uh, Al Christensen was also an Olympic lifter. Uh, they took me under their wing, and Al put a platform in the back of his gym, and that's where we trained, and we uh, were we represented his gym as the Bosco Weightlifting Club because Bosco was a cartoon of strength and health. And uh, right. I remember that. we represented him, and we represented him, and the Olympic lifting, and uh, it kind of died down a little bit when we started doing powerlifting, but we still trained out there and back, and then I did bodybuilding all along, but 
I think I want I like the bodybuilding more then because of uh I don't know if Randy mentioned this, but I like to be appealing to the women and I don't think they cared much about the powerlifting or Olympic lifting, but they kinda liked the bodybuilding, so <laughs> that's why I did it. I mean it it was a you know, I today if I had it to do over again I'd have never gone to a contest or ever ever entered a contest. I don't care for it at all. But uh, back then it was it was only because I was trying to attract the opposite sex. That was it. Jim, do you think that uh, going to muscular failure is necessary, or is it just more time efficient for most people? Well, uh, if back in the 70s, 80s, I probably would have said, yeah, it is uh, necessary. I don't necessarily, I don't think it's necessary anymore. I think a hard workout, and if you come to, and of course, the, you know, the, the, the hip diehards will say, well, how can you tell when you're two reps from failure and all that kind of stuff? Well, I don't know, and to be honest with you, I don't care either. Uh, I train hard, I train my clients hard, and I watch them, and I, I keep them in the safe, safety zone. And, uh, some people I've trained like we used to train back in the land, but be quite honest with, uh, clients, you have to be careful with them. And I don't want somebody uh, ending up with hemorrhoids after a workout like I did. Uh, you know, so it's uh, taking on clients. I don't believe that you have to go to, to deep failure, maybe to failure. Uh, and I, I uh, describe failure as not being able to do another rep safely. Uh, that's where I stop it. Um, but we do some assistance exercises, and there's sometimes we do breakdowns, so not as much anymore. But different people have different needs, and I try to, try to tailor the, the training to the specific trainee. And uh, we may go pretty much what Arthur wants, or we may not. And uh, I don't let anything uh, deter me in, except safety. I don't do stupid stuff. We don't balance on a ball and lift weights. We don't... Uh, <laughs> We don't wear the kangaroo shoes. We don't do any of this, the gimmicky stuff. I don't believe in that at all. Uh, but I do finishing stuff now and again. I've got a sled, and I think you've got pictures of me with a sled. We do that now and again. Um, but yeah. it's got to be safe. There are some people that it's not safe for them to pull the sled, so they won't. It's just like what you used to do with a 300-pound heavy bag or whatever. Some people can do it. Some people right. can't. Some people need it. Some people don't need it, you know. Uh, some right. people, all I have, to, all I have to do is turn off the fan in the gym, and that's a hard workout for them, you know. I agree completely with what you just said because it's it all depends on the client. I mean, you have some young exactly. athletes, who, you know, they they want you to hammer them, and it's fun to do it. But most yeah. of your clients, I don't know, but you, most of my clients aren't the young athletes. Most of them are right. the older, either middle aged or even older people, and um, you know, you're you're responsible for them, so you. You, I agree with everything you just said. You don't treat people all the same, and uh, the number one priority is to have them, uh, you know, not get injured. Right. Yeah, I don't, uh, and I, I pay, I don't train anybody at my, except at my gym, at my house. It's private. Sometimes I allow one other person to come in with a trainee, but that's it, because we don't have a lot of room. But I give them 100% attention. I'm not on the cell phone. I'm not texting. I'm not doing stuff that you see trainers doing in the gym that I want to go up and kick them in the ass when I see them do it. I know. I don't walk off I know. and talk, you know, do high fives with everybody and all the, you know, beating, walking and pounding the chest and all that. I don't do that. I give the 
the client the attention. And, uh, That's right. you know, if they come in one day and they're not feeling good, well, I don't kick their butt. You know, I bring them along right. with what they can do. If I've got somebody that I don't have somebody like that now, most of my trainees have gotten older, but I had some former athletes that you had to really give it to them. Uh, I had one one guy, a good friend of mine now, that uh, was a former athlete. I had judged him in one of his kickboxing uh, bouts. But uh, he came in, took a workout that I was doing at the uh, Nautilus uh, uh, gym downtown, and I found out that after it was the initial workout, so it wasn't too bad, I found out that he had left and went to another gym afterwards to do a workout. Well, the next time he worked out, I buried him. He stayed in the uh, bathroom <laughs> with a puke bucket afterwards. And because I, it kind of irritated me that he thought, well, you know, that wasn't much. So from then on, he got the full bore. Back then, I was training people extremely hard because I had very motivated trainees. But somewhere along the line, I picked up other people that weren't that motivated. So uh, you don't kill them and then run them off. You know, you help them to get better than what they were. And one thing that I always told people, I said that because they always have to come in for a consultation first to see if they want to train with me or if I want them, I say, well, I can't guarantee you fat loss. Uh, some of the people will uh, guarantee you. I say, because I can't follow you home and see what you eat. But I can guarantee right. you that you'll get stronger, and I can guarantee you you'll get in better condition. And I'll help you with That's the right. eating part. But I'm not in it, into any kind of deep diet. Uh, if you got somebody that really needs uh, a hard diet, well, then we go to the low-carbo diet. What we, or not say we, I was involved in early bodybuilding. That's what uh, we were using as a diet back then before all the different diets that use a low carbohydrate. We we did it back a long time ago before it was scientific. And that's how we drop fat. But uh you right. know, I don't really push any kind of diet on anybody. Uh but I try to talk to them about eating sensible and where my diet comes in. I've dieted most of my life. I hate it now. And what I have to do is I cut my amount and I try not to go on the uh the four brownie or the two pieces of key lime pie or, or the half dozen cookies or a dozen cookies that I used to be able to get away with, I don't do that anymore except now and again. And uh, as far as the eating the, the, the red meat, I eat a little bit. I mainly eat chicken and turkey and fish, and uh, right. that's about it. Uh, I'm carrying way more fat than I want to, but, hell, I'm 68, and... Uh, you know, I probably never will get into a pair of 28 pants again. <laughs> <laughs> 28, wow. How tall are yeah, you? Tw- well, I was 5'8". I'm 5'6 and a half and shrinking. I have a lot, <laughs> you know, I, I base that a, a lot on the heavy training that I used to do. I, I believed in heavy training, and I believed in is being able to squat and bench and deadlift and everything else as, as much as anybody could do. And... At one time, I could walk into most any gym and squat with just about anybody. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's because of that heavy training, uh, you know, I'm shorter now. And I don't do it mm-hmm. anymore. I don't I don't train that heavy. I'm usually anywhere. My rep scheme is usually around 20, uh, unless now and again I get horsey and I get 10 or 8, something like that. But I don't uh, – I try to not stress my spine anymore, and I use – 
mainly machines. I know machines are not good for you. If you're a real man, you don't use machines. But to those people, I just say bullshit. But uh, that's right. You know, I use my I use mainly machines, and in my gym, I've got the Pendulum Multi, and then I've got uh, uh, some other stuff. I got free weights. I've got uh, dumbbells. You know, we we use whatever we want to use, and I tailor the workout and and my workout to what I feel that day. And uh, when I go to Golds, I, I use the equipment that's available, and that's the drawback of going to a commercial gym. You can't go in there and and do a workout. Most of the time, this written down because you might have some uh, texter sitting on a machine texting away for 20 minutes. And uh, the uh, the manners in gyms is not the way it used to be whenever I went to a gym. When I went to a, the gym years ago, the older guys, the experienced guys, you had to kind of get their approval to be there, even though you were paying. And if you weren't a turd, they would help you out, and uh, and if you were, you know, one of those type of people, I've seen them pick them up and throw them out on the ground outside, and I've seen them go outside and throw them in the bushes. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you had to have a certain level of uh, uh, respect to train in the gym. It's not there now. A lot of people don't uh, they don't understand, and uh, and for somebody like us that likes to take a purposeful short workout. Um, it's hard sometimes because people don't want to give up the equipment. You know, it's their equipment, and uh, you're not going to use it. So uh, I've had opportunities to run a business like that, and uh, I won't do it. Whenever I was training in commercial gyms, those particular gyms were set up pretty good. Uh, the Golds is not set up that that well for the type of training that I would want to do. they got good equipment, but... Uh, you're stumbling over people that have fell asleep in the machines or talking on the cell phone, you know, that kind of stuff. So uh, I wouldn't wouldn't do it anywhere but here at the house now. Jim, we have time for one more question. Okay. If you had to put it in a, a nutshell, you know, short and sweet and condensed, how would you describe <laughs> the fundamentals of your strength training philosophy? Well, my philosophy's changed dramatically over the years here and there because – I've been fortunate being with some of the top names and kind of absorbing what you know what they like, but I still I still pretty much do what Arthur taught me, but you know also what uh, Al Christensen and uh, other people have taught me. Uh, but I, I believe in brief training. I believe in hard training as hard as you can actually train, uh, depending on your you know your your needs. Um, we vary the rep scheme. Some people use lower reps. Some people use higher reps. I do multiple sets sometimes. I do single sets sometimes. Um, I, I'm not stuck in anything. The only thing that I don't do is gimmicks. I will, I will not do any kind of gimmicky stuff. Uh, but basically I kind of stick to what, what Arthur taught me. And, and what Arthur taught me is way different, I feel, than what the high intensity is today. Uh, some somebody that uh, I would sort of pattern and say that I kind of do the way he do would be like Doc Ken. Uh, you know, he's not always a single set, and he's not always machines. And you know, uh, my philosophy is uh, it's pretty open. I'm not stuck in anything. I don't consider myself a hit guy anymore. 
Yeah, because mainly because of the uh, new. Yeah, the mainly because of the newer hit guys probably wouldn't consider me a hit guy any, anyway. You know, so I don't belong to that club. Uh, but some of the ones that are so strong about saying they're hit and this, that, and the other, and were Arthur's friends on the internet. Uh, I was going up there same time that he was. They were going up there, and uh, Arthur was at the end, and he didn't care. And it was kind of uh, uh, sad, but he didn't really care about talking about training. And some of the the internet uh, experts uh, were going there at that time, and they were his friend, and they got all the insight and everything. But honestly, I talked to him about some of them, and you know, he gave me the lowdown, and it, it's you know. He was done. He had, he was burnt out. He had uh, he didn't care anymore, uh, and I think he was a little bit bitter at the end uh, for whatever mm-hmm. reasons. And uh, some people that he started out with, he didn't end up with. For uh, some of it was his fault, some of it was their fault. Uh, but I always respected him, always liked him. But it was I thought it was kind of depressing seeing him in that state. Uh, at the end, mm-hmm. uh, because he, he he just did not care. What is your philosophy on poundage progression? Because I know all about the effort and everything else. When do you tell your clients or you yourself, when do you add weight? Well, uh, a lot of my clients are on a 15 to 20 rep scheme. And whenever they're doing that 15 to 20 rep scheme pretty easy, then the next time we'll raise it. If it's real easy, like some people will blow through 20 and do 30 reps. And, of course, right. uh, at that time I'm going to raise the weight kind of drastically. But we we have different protocols that we use. I, I use a lot of uh, Marcus Anovich's uh, protocols from uh, uh, the old days at Bucks because he used what Arthur had, but he, he kind of put it in a uh, pretty understandable way. He had all his protocols written down back then. But we have a 50s day, a 30s day, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, we have mm-hmm. uh, the uh, uh, different ranges, training different ranges day, just to break things up somewhat. And so the day that the guy's doing the 50 or the girl's doing the 50, the, the weight will be lighter. And be honest with you, I started going to 50s days because of the women that were training because I found out that a lot of the women that were coming over here that were former athletes or trainers themselves were could train harder than some of the guys and they were knocking out the 50 rep days like nothing and so it right. kind of moved over into the guys because i figured well the girls are just you know they're just tearing everybody up but i'll raise the weight when it looks like it's getting easy for them and i changed the workouts uh uh probably every month We'll do a different type workout because it's real easy to get stale doing the same thing all the time, you know. And and whenever I change the workout, we may change the rep range, uh, just depending on whatever I can do to keep the enthusiasm up without calling them names and calling them stupid, and I don't do any of that anymore. I did in the past, but I don't do it anymore. Um, <laughs> I try I try to be more gentle with them because, like I say, I'm not training that many athletes anymore that need that super mo- motivation. And some people, it scares them, you know. Uh, the way right. I first started training people years ago, some of the people I've had in the, in the uh, recent past would be scared to come around. Because, to be honest, when I went up to train with Arthur, every time I walked into the, the, the Quonset hut, I was nervous as hell. 
because you never knew what you were going to uh, face, and you never knew who was there. Now, if there was two or three football players or football coaches or somebody there that Arthur wanted to make an example out of me in front of them, hell, I was the guinea pig, and uh, he would, you know, I'd be a grease spot when he got done. And uh, so I was the example of hard training. And everybody that trained with him like that was there. And uh, somebody like Casey, he blew everybody, everybody out of the water. Uh, Nobody could keep up Mm -hmm. with Casey. The weights used, the reps, I mean, he was... He was maximum weights. He was full weight stacks with people standing on the weight stack and dumbbells on a weight stack and, you know, 30, 40 reps. I mean, he was unbelievable. Uh, he he took to that kind of training. Now, I don't think he did it that way when he left Arthur because, quite honestly, you train because you enjoy training. And, you know, I don't think you can really enjoy that training forever. Uh, things change. And... uh you know, that's why I don't train so hard anymore. Well, Jim, you gave us some great information. I just want to thank you so much for being on the show. Well, just fact check me with Randy. <laughs> don't be a flamingo. You have to do your squat. Don't be a flamingo. Real lifters work their legs. Hey Bob, it's SJ here in Washington, D.C. Just wanted to give you a report that there is definitely a flamboyance of flamingos here in the gym at my office building, right in the heart of the nation's capital. Stay strong, be well, and keep on doing what you're doing. Don't be a flamingo, you have to do your squat. Don't be a flamingo, real lifters work their legs. That's going to do it for this edition of Natural Strength Night on MindForceRadio.com. Please bookmark that website, MindForceRadio.com. Bob is always looking for new writers for naturalstrength.com who are old school, hardcore, write with passion, and have a strong anti-steroid stance. He also wants your training questions so they can be answered on the show. Please send your articles and training questions to Bob at mindforceradio at earthlink.net. Thanks for listening. See you next time.